a.m. the 5th of October 1997. Two teenage friends, Lauren Barry and Nicole Collins, leave their friends and campsite to attend a party about an hour's walk away. They didn't make it. This is the case of the bigger schoolgirl murders. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Islanders, well, this week I was going to bring you the Gerildery letter from Ned Kelly, but I do need to work on that a little bit more, so I'll do it sometime as a bonus episode. Tonight, though, I will bring you a horrific story of the abduction, rape and murder of two bigger schoolgirls that happened over 20 years ago. Although I won't go into every exact detail of what happened, I think I'd better give a trigger warning for this episode. It was just so shocking to read what happened when I was doing the research. Now, I'll be reading parts from two court cases and the Sydney Morning Herald tonight. Okay, so it's Friday the 3rd of October 1997, This weekend is the Labor Day long weekend, with the Monday being a public holiday. 14-year-old Lauren Barry and 16-year-old Nicole Collins, both from Kalaroo and students at Beager High School, decide to spend the weekend camping with other teenagers at White Rock near the town of Beager. Now, Beager is about midway between Sydney and Melbourne, and it's just off the coast. Graham Collins, a veterinary surgeon and father of Nicole Collins, helped the girls set up camp on the Friday as he had for them several times over the last 18 months or so. They would be camping uh, with half a dozen or so friends and it would be an early birthday party as well for Lauren who would be turning 15 the following week. The family homes of Lauren and Nicole are about three kilometres or nearly two miles away So over the weekend, they will often walk to their houses for a shower, new clothes, get some food. So uh, now you might think they're a bit young to be camping out in the bush. But back in the day, and especially a country area like Bega, it was no real big deal as there were plenty of other teenagers camping in that area as well. And also both sets of parents often dropped in on the girls over the weekend to make sure they're okay. So a bunch of teenagers in a place that's probably been a popular campsite for years, not that far away from town, so far enough away from the parents to have a good time, but not that far as to be unsafe as well. Being teenagers, there would be some booze, maybe some weed, but hey, that's to be expected. The girls would do some horse riding during the day and chat around the campfire at night. All good fun. Anyway, on the Sunday night, 
Around 9.30pm, Lauren and Nicole decided to walk to a friend, Christine James's place in Gelat Gelat for a party. Now that's about an hour's walk away. It was here that they thought that Nicole's ex-boyfriend, Andrew Irwin, was and the next day was a holiday, so staying up late partying was no drama. As the two girls walked off from the campsite, they were carrying some spirits mixed with coke, but by all reports they weren't drunk, just enjoying a little bit of underage drinking as I'm sure most of us can relate to. As they got onto the main road, and at about 10pm, a Ford Telster, driven by 28-year-old Leslie Camilleri with 24-year-old Lindsay Beckett in the passenger seat, approaches the girls. They pulled over and asked the girls if there were any parties going on down Tathra Beach as there'd been a festival in the area over the weekend. It looks like the girls decided to get in the car with the guys and go check out the beach on the proviso that they would get a lift back to either the campsite or the party at Christine James's house. Now, on the back seat of the Telstar, there was a TV set that had been painted pink, which earlier on in the day, Camilleri and Beckett had taken from one of their friends who owed them money for drugs. Beckett took the pink TV out from the back seat and left it by the side of the road to make way for the girls to sit in the back. The Ford Telstar is only a smallish car. It was the same as a Mazda 626 of the day, if you can remember what they looked like. Now, one thing I want to say right now. If you ever get in a car, except the lift or whatever, check to see if there are handles to open the doors on the inside and if the child safety locks are on as well. Now, I don't know in this electronic day and age if modern cars have childproof locks, but what they are are little switches on the door that you can flick so that the door can't be opened from the inside, only from the outside. And once the door is closed, you can't get access to unflick the switch. It's to stop kids from opening the door and jumping out while you drive. So you can imagine, if that's on and you're in it, you can't open the back door, you can't jump out. Now, the car was then driven to Tathra Beach area and they stayed there for a short time. After leaving the Tathra Beach area, Camilleri drove the car back towards the campsite. Beckett was in the front passenger seat. Lauren and Nicole were in the back and Camilleri turned off the Tathra road onto the dirt track leading to the campsite at White Rock. As he drove along the dirt track, which has a rough and uneven surface, the car was bottoming out. You know, when it's, I don't know if you've driven over and it's just like bang, bang at the bottom of your car, putting dents in it. Anyway, this gave Camilleri the shits and he started yelling at the girls. Now, Camilleri and Beckett aren't your wholesome couple of blokes. Beckett had 11 convictions, some for offences of violence, arising from seven appearances in court. Camilleri had convictions mostly for offences of dishonesty and willful damage. Some had resulted in sentences of imprisonment. None was an offence against the person. However, he was on bail awaiting retrial on several counts of raping the female child of his former de facto wife. On bail. Yep. 
Now, they'd been shooting up speed that night, and as we know, this does affect the mind. So Camilleri is losing it in the car with the girls. Beckett is not exactly trying to calm things down. You can sort of see that Camilleri is the more dominant of the two, and Beckett is along for the ride. Lauren and Nicole were now terrified as Camilleri pulled a knife from the driver's side door, turned to face the girls in the back seat and told them to shut the fuck up and not to say anything. If they did, he would stab them. Camilleri then told Beckett to get his knife, which was in the glove box. So you can imagine how terrified Lauren and Nicole were, just 14 and 16 years of age, in the back of a car which they can't get out of, with two maniacs wielding knives at them. Now, little did the girls know when they accepted the lift that Camilleri and Beckett, just three weeks before, had picked up a 19-year-old young woman in Canberra named Rosemary Gandarius. They held her captive for 12 hours while both of them raped her. She was repeatedly hit in the head by Camilleri to make her cooperate. They would rape her, drive further, pull off the main road and rape her again. After about 12 hours, Camilleri stopped at a rest area off the Hume Highway near Bowerill. Rosemary said she had to go to the toilet. She got out of the car and then managed to flee through the bush. She was only wearing shoes, socks and a t-shirt at the time. Camilleri and Beckett chased her. However, she managed to escape by hiding in a wombat hole. She then ran through the bush, suffering multiple abrasions and lacerations until she came to a farmhouse where she could get some help. Camilleri had planned to throw her off one of the bridges in the area. Now, some of the bridges along that way have huge drops. She was lucky to get away with her life. Now, from what I see, she did go to police and they were actively looking for the Camilleri and Beckett However, their identity was unknown at the time. So Lauren and Nicole are now being held at knife point in the back of a car that they can't get out of, with Camilleri going nuts. Camilleri then reversed the car back down the dirt track to the Tathra Road, turned left and drove towards Kalaroo. Camilleri then drove along the old Wallagoot Road towards the Sapphire Coast Highway, when he turned off into a small clearing which looked like where the locals had dumped some rubbish. Camilleri parked the car. The girls are told to get out of the car and strip. Both Camilleri and Beckett are off their face on speed. Beckett takes Lauren to one side of the car and Camilleri takes Nicole to the other. Lauren protests that she's still a virgin and on her period. This has no effect and Beckett and Camilleri rape the two young girls. Lauren and Nicole are both then told to get dressed and get back in the car. Lauren leaves her flannelette shirt behind and they all drive off. Camilleri drives back up Old Wallagoot Road towards Marimbula and then along the Prince's Highway towards Eden. When they're about five kilometres north of Eden, Camilleri turns left off the highway. This was at a road which entered the Ben Boyd National Park. Camilleri told Beckett that he wanted to have sex with Lauren. Camilleri and Beckett then took more speed and they proceeded to rape the girls again. When they were finished, they told the girls to get back in the car 
and they headed off to Eden. Now, this was in the dead of night and along roads that didn't have very much traffic at all, so the girls had very little opportunity, if all, to get help, especially being held at knife point as they drove along. Camilleri then drove the car into Eden. After driving around for a short time, Camilleri and Beckett then sought a way back out of Eden. As they were doing this, Camilleri again stopped the car off a road in a spot that lets cars do U-turns. The girls again were forced out of the car while Camilleri and Beckett raped them. After this, they drive towards Victoria on the Prince's Highway. While Beckett drove, Camilleri raped Lauren in the back seat. They then entered Victoria and Camilleri told Beckett to find a spot off the main road. Beckett finds a dirt road and Camilleri tells him to stop after about 10 or 15 minutes driving. Camilleri takes Lauren out of the car and tells Beckett to drive off and come back to get him in half an hour or so. To mark the spot, Camilleri rips the top off a carton of VB beer and sticks it on the top of a fallen log. Now the VB boxes are bright green. Camilleri takes Lauren into the bush and Beckett drives off. After a short time, Beckett drives back to the log with a VB carton and Camilleri and Lauren come out of the bushes. Lauren is now wearing Camilleri's t-shirt while he's bare-chested. Lauren had left her shirt behind. They were now about eight hours into the ordeal. As Beckett drove deeper into Victoria, Camilleri fell asleep. When he woke up and realised the direction they were going, he cracks the shits and starts yelling at Beckett that he wants to go towards Sydney as there's some bridges on the way to Sydney on the Hume Highway which have great drops. So it's clear at this stage that Camilleri intends to kill the girls. Beckett turns the car around, but they don't go too far. Instead, they park the car near Fiddler's Green Creek inside the Victorian border. The girls are then bound with rope that was in the boot of the car or the trunk and then they are walked a few hundred metres into the bush. They are untied and ordered to strip and wash themselves in the creek to try and remove any evidence of the sexual assaults that they had had endured over the now 12 hours they've been captive. It was around 8am Monday the 6th of October 1997. Lauren and Nicole are then taken about 10 metres apart from each other, told to lie on their stomachs as Beckett and Camilleri tie each one of them up again. Camilleri told Beckett they will keep them apart so that, and this is what he says, when one's done, the other won't hear the other one or see it. Camilleri then told Beckett to go drown Lauren and then drag Nicole into the water and drown her as well. Beckett protested killing the girls, but Camilleri got mad and told him they can't go back. We'll get caught, as they know what we look like. Beckett said, why don't you do one? And Camilleri replied, just do it, otherwise I'll fucking kill you. So Beckett walked over to Lauren. And it's a trigger warning again here, super trigger warning. As Beckett described in his own words, fast forward to about 18 minutes, 10 seconds to avoid the next bit. 
I went over to Lauren and dragged her down to the water. I held her head under the water. She was struggling and she knocked me into the water. One of my knees, I think the left, went into the water. This pissed me off a little bit and I opened my knife. It was in my left hand and I stabbed Lauren in the left side of the neck. I said in my interview that it was the right side of the neck with my right hand, but I've been thinking since. It wasn't my right thumb which was cut, but my left. After a couple of seconds after I stabbed her, she stopped moving. Beckett then walks over to kill Nicole. And again, in his own words, After I stabbed Lauren, I ran up the bank to where I tied Nicole up. She must have heard what I had done to Lauren because when I got to her, she said, You're going to kill me, aren't you? I said, Shut up, and walked around to her left side, and I cut her throat two or three times. This was across her throat. The knife was in my left hand. Nicole was sitting down when I cut her throat. After this, she was thrashing around on the ground. She was trying to scream, but nothing was coming out. I think I kicked her because she wouldn't keep still. And then I put my foot to her to keep her still. This didn't work, so I stabbed her in the throat. I aimed and stabbed at the hard thing in her neck. I pushed the knife all the way in, but she still wouldn't keep still, so I worked out where her heart would be, and I stabbed her on the left side of the chest. She still didn't stop moving, so I stabbed her in the front of the chest. I was aiming for her heart. I needed two hands to get the knife through her chest. She kept moving, so I kicked her in the head a couple of times. She still kept moving, but she was slowing down. I waited until she stopped moving, which didn't take long. So, with both girls dead, Beckett unties them and takes the ropes and gags back to the car. Camilleri asked him if he's done it. As they drove back to Yass, where they both lived, Camilleri kept asking Beckett, Did you see the demon? Over the next few days, Beckett and Camilleri burnt their clothes, shoes and ropes, threw the knives into Lake Burley Griffin in Canberra and cleaned out the car. So, on the Monday morning, the 6th of October, the girls are nowhere to be seen. Lauren's brother Nathan had gone to the campsite to pick her up as she was going to Sydney that morning. Neither girl is at the campsite and it's soon realised that no one has seen them since around 9.30pm on Sunday night when they walked off to go to the party at their friend's place. Police are called in and a search of the immediate area is conducted. Now, being a long weekend, there were many out-of-towners in the area, which made it harder for police to try to track them down. Soon, Lauren's flannelette shirt is located off Old Wallagoot Road, where the first rape had occurred. This was strange, as it was in the opposite direction to where the girls were thought to be headed. Council workers would pick up the pink painted TV set that had been dumped along the side of the road. They thought this was extremely unusual, but at the mo- at that time was not linked at all to the girls going missing. Now, even with a huge media campaign, police were no closer to finding the girls. The parents of the girls looked distraught on TV as they pleaded for the girls to come home if they'd run away or if they'd been abducted, for them to be released. Camilleri and Beckett drove to Campbelltown, southwest of Sydney, and stay with Camilleri's brother for a few days. 
Once here, they took the car to the car wash and over a six-hour period, they cleaned the car, taking the seats and carpets out to try and rid rid it of any evidence. They They then drove back to pick up the pink TV, but of course, they couldn't find it. It's gone. Then on the 27th of October, three weeks after the girls went missing, Beckett was picked up by the Australian Federal Police for theft and he was remanded in custody. While searching his stolen car, they found a map of Bega. They had a suspicion that he may have something to do with the missing girls, and so the task force investigating the case was informed of the finding. Beckett was then interviewed on the 5th of November 1997 at the Australian Federal Police Headquarters in Canberra. Beckett denied any involvement. On the 12th of November 97, Beckett was again interviewed and on this occasion he gave a detailed account of events and made admissions. Beckett subsequently took investigators to various crime scenes within New South Wales and Victoria and to the actual murder scene, Fiddler's Green Creek in Victoria, where the bodies of the two dead girls were found. The council workers, after seeing the news about the girls, told police about the pink TV they found on the side of the road. This they were able to trace back to Camilleri and Beckett and would show police the exact location where the girls were initially picked up. At each location that Beckett took police, they were able to verify his story. At one location, Lauren had left her shirt behind. At another, The green VB box was where Beckett said it was. At every location, there was something there that belonged to either the girls or Beckett and Camilleri. Now, I think Lauren did this on purpose. Maybe not sure if she would live through the ordeal or not, but in any case, she would leave some evidence to convict these maggots. On the 15th of November 1997, Beckett was extradited to Victoria. On the 15th of November 97, a further record of interview was conducted with members of the Victorian Homicide Squad and admissions were made. Now Camilleri on the 28th of October 97, that's a little bit earlier, was arrested for unrelated matters and also for breaching his bail. On the 25th of November 97, Camilleri was extradited to Victoria and made no omissions during any interview process as to either raping or murdering the two young teenagers. On his initial interview, he stated that he knew nothing about the disappearance of the girls, but on his second interview, he admitted that the girls were in the car, but that he was doped out on heroin and knows nothing of the rape or killing of the two girls. But his semen was found on Lauren's shirt, and DNA tests would prove it. They would both be charged with murder of the two girls. Beckett would plead guilty and become a witness against Camilleri, who'd pleaded not guilty. Now Beckett admitted to killing both girls, and Camilleri tried to say he was in a drug-induced coma the whole time, And, of course, he had nothing to do with it. Well, Beckett got life with 35 years until he would be eligible for parole. And Camilleri got life with no possibility of parole. That's just another senseless, drug-induced, fucked-up waste of life. 
killing the girls because they didn't want to get caught, but they got caught anyway soon after. They could have let them go another third of the time that they ultimately would. Rosemarie Gandarius, the girl this couple of scum attacked just three weeks before, she must have nightmares, not only for the attack, but knowing it could have been her dead. I mean, they were going to throw her over that bridge. Now, like I said, some of those bridges across the Nepean River have a huge drop into this gorge. I, mean, it's, I don't know, it's maybe more than 100 metres or so. That, that's terrifying. Now, the fact that Camilleri was on bail after an aborted trial for raping his de facto's daughter... Now, he was waiting a new trial. Well, again, if they just held him on remand over that time, I'm sure none of this would have happened. I don't think Camilleri would get bail in this day and age, but he was the leader. Beckett was just a dumb junkie that couldn't stand up to him. Now, Beckett won't be entitled to parole until 2033 or so, and they'll probably knock it back a few times. And let's hope Camilleri never gets out. What shits me... Is these vermin get protective custody because everyone inside wants to kill them. Well, as always, it's the lives that were taken so young that had so much potential and the life sentence of family and friends get that's the worst part of all of this. Oh, so that's the end of this week's show, Islanders. Now, as usual, we do our shout-outs for the Patreon people. And it's a big thank you to Tamika Siegman. I hope I said your name correctly there. Thank you so much. Grant Borlas, Bobfuckalunga, and Patrick Corey. Thank you so much, people. And a shout-out to Lisa Pepper. Lisa, please read your email and get back to me so I can send you your mug. Thank you all so much for your support and thanks so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference, as you know. Also, during the first or second week of the month, I will reach out to anyone who qualifies for a a reward of a mug or a shirt to confirm your address and find out what item you like. So mugs are for three months at $10, shirts are for uh, three months at $20, if you've got a $5 patronage, you do get stickers sent after the first month. So if you think you qualify, check your email. If I send you an email, I'm just confirming what you want and confirming your address, just in case you move and I send a shirt to the wrong place. So True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free. As you know, I don't like them and neither do you. If you want to go uh, support the island financially for as little as $1 a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island. Check out the levels and the rewards. Alternatively, you can do a one-off donation at paypal.me forward slash true crime island. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, tote bags, but my favourite are the mugs of rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Now, don't order the black mugs, please. But also, if you get something and it's been printed incorrectly, there's been a few where the boomfuckalunga or whatever has been blown up on it too far, so you're not really getting the whole thing on the item. Let me know because I can find out off uh, Threadless 
what's gone on and they can send you a corrected one. So I need to know, they need to know, and we can get it all sorted out because they do want you to be 100% uh, happy with your purchase. So I do have keychains, lapel pins, stickers and beer koozies. You have to contact me directly for those. So they're not on the Threadless shop. I'm getting more stickers made. They, hopefully they'll be in the next few weeks. Now, you have to email me, cambo at True Crime Island for that. It's always the best way to get me personally for anything else, such as case requests or just to say, boom, fucker longer. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, show them. Search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join the closed group on Facebook. Now, before I go, I want to thank everyone that voted for the island at the Australian Podcast Awards. We, meaning you and me, made it to the finals in the independent true crime category and the popular vote category, Boom Vagalanga. The awards will be held in May in the Seymour Centre in Sydney. Google the Australian Podcast Awards if you're interested in attending. I think Tara and Barney will be there and a few other people also. So I'm thinking there's going to be another crossover episode coming and we all love that. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James. And I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night and boom vagalanga. Bye.